0: Welcome to The Source from the ATA, conversations about telehealth and virtual care from the thought leaders, experts and visionaries who are working to change the way the world thinks about healthcare. My name is Joe Kavidar, I'm the president-elect of ATA, and I'm honored to serve as the program chair for the ATA annual conference. This is a critical time in our history and there's no better time than now to prepare for the future of healthcare that will most certainly include telehealth, and there's no better organization than ATA to convene our industry, hospital systems, healthcare professionals, telehealth solutions providers, payers, investors, government officials, and other stakeholders, and move adoption forward. With that, I'm really thrilled to welcome my colleague and friend, Thomas Getz, the podcast. I should mention before I introduce Thomas that what you'll learn that he is uh, an executive at GoodRx. He has invited me to serve on his medical advisory board, and I've accepted that. That's a just a full transparency comment before I interview uh, Thomas. So Thomas Getz is a journalist, entrepreneur, and author. He uses data and design to help people understand and navigate complicated issues. In their world. Thomas is the co-founder of Iodine, an award-winning website that helps millions of people make sense of their health and medicines. In 2016, Iodine was acquired by GoodRx, America's leading source for prescription drug savings, where he presently serves as chief of research. Thomas was previously the executive editor at Wired, which is when I met him, where he led to a dozen national magazine awards in his many years. He began his career as a reporter at the Village Voice and the Wall Street Journal, and he currently writes The Launchpad, a column for Inc. Magazine. He's written two books, most recently the 2014 bestseller, The Remedy, Robert Koch, Arthur Conan Doyle, and The Quest for to Cure Tuberculosis. He served as the first entrepreneur in residence for the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation and Curator in Residence for Adobe Systems. His TED talk on visualizing medical data has been viewed half a million times. Thomas holds is a Master of Public Health degree from the University of California, Berkeley, a Master's in American Literature from the University of Virginia. He graduated from Bates College and lives in San Francisco. Thomas, we're really pleased to have you joining us for ATA 2020. And so I want to start by asking you if you would share a little bit about what you're going to keynote on at the conference in just a couple of weeks.
1: Well, sure, Joe. And thank you for having me. It's a, a pleasure to join you and to join the ATA. Um, I think, you know, uh, we've we've known each other for more than a decade. And I think a, a decade ago, as, as I think we'll talk about we thought we were on the precipice of this whole tidal shift in healthcare where the consumer would, you know, become the center of, of the action um, and be empowered and uh, informed. And it's taken probably a little longer than we had both hoped for. Um, but I think one of the things that we've seen in the last few months is a real catalyst through, through the um, COVID-19 epidemic Towards consumerization, and so so what I was going to talk about was the basically how the consumer has arrived at last in healthcare. Um, it's it's been this thing that we've talked about, as I said, uh, you know, as in about to happen around the corner for a long time, but um, finally there's some changes that are that are happening that are are making that a reality. Much of that is due to telemedicine, um, and the fact that telemedicine has has gone from. Um, a service that was available, but but not always something that people knew how to use, how to engage with, what how to use it in addition to the other ac- other uh, ways to access care. Um, I think we've we've seen really driven by necessity, obviously an, an embrace of of telemedicine, and um, with that an embrace uh, and a real step towards um, consumerization of healthcare overall. So I, I have a few. Lines that I was going to tease out where where that's happened, and really try to drill into this idea of of what we what we mean by dis, by by uh, you know patients acting as consumers, and I think it has to do a lot of you know thinking about like what do they do in the rest of their lives in terms of shopping around, looking at ratings, um, thinking about prices, going to the services that that are most you know design friendly and and responsive to their needs. Um, all of those things are are I think very much at play now in healthcare um not not every sector but but many sectors and I think that's the other thing that we've seen is is a real again this catalytic movement towards a prioritization of different services that that actually are are potentially you know have a high to, to use the, the tech cliche there's very low friction for them to move into a kind of uh, virtual environment. Um, versus other services that maybe are a little more hard to to transfer entirely to a digital um, environment so so just teasing some of those ideas out and and really seeing what what um, what might stick in the years ahead
0: that's really that's really interesting there's so many examples uh, of that not just in healthcare of this well we've been talking about x for a long time and the pandemic made it a reality i mean yep the other one that's closely related to what you and I are talking about is is how re- everyone's rethinking how they use their brick and mortar. Yeah. Um, and, and, and whether, I mean, companies thinking about, well, should we have people come back to work? Uh, we've been pretty effective remote. So really interesting time in that regard. Yeah. And I think that's true. You know, it's true with things like. Pharmacy,
1: right in 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 the healthcare world. Um, you know, for for years, I I was never going to be. I was. I always liked going to the grocery store. I, I have these fond memories of going to the grocery store in Minneapolis with my mom, and and so it was always kind of a treat for me to go. Uh, still, and so I was never. I was miles away from Webvan, never doing Instacart. Um, but now that's how I get groceries, and and uh, you yeah. know, I'm pleased that I have that opportunity. And I think we're seeing the same thing happened in healthcare with, with pharmacies, um, uh, as well as, as kind of the classic telemedicine paradigm.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Really interesting time to see. And, and I wonder, th- this is just a rhetorical thought, but you're welcome to comment how 50 or hundred years from now, when, when this moment in history is, is, uh, told whether it will really feel like a real inflection point in so many of these uh, different ways of doing things. It feels like that now. I wonder if it'll persist
1: yeah I, I I mean undoubtedly it will and I think you know as as somebody who's been a kind of armchair historian with a, a, some of the stuff I've written about um it's it inevitably will be seen as that I think in some ways it will be different than what we might think about right now as the the big changes um oftentimes it is those things like telemedicine or telehealth that that were already there um that uh, and there was an infrastructure that could be um, you know, kind of, uh, uh, kind of optimized or, or or implemented, and and that's the shift. So it isn't a, a shift towards something entirely new, but a shift towards something that was there, but but not as um, not as uh, dominant.
0: Yeah, yeah, that that's a theme I've been talking a lot about. Really interesting to hear that. So, speaking of consumerism, uh, I want to talk a little bit about uh, some themes from your book, The Decision Tree, which is now, I can't believe it, it's almost 10 years old. Yes, classic. You talked about individuals could take control of their health and how to use technology to help us navigate difficult health decisions. Now, that I'm sure was partly what inspired your first company, Iodine, where you explored how people can make better decisions about their medication. I'd love to get a little more from you about your theory behind good decision-making uh, and how technology helps us get there.
1: Yeah. So, so I've, I've, uh, it's interesting because I, it, in, in hindsight, it looks almost deliberate, but, but I wrote the book um, and then, and then ended up starting the company and, and the company really became a um, a sandbox to test various ideas, some of which I was very convinced that would work and, and didn't, and others, which I, <laughs> I was not that confident about and turned out to be the, the, the things that work. So, I've, I'm glad to say that I've, I've put theory into practice and learned some things. Um, I think the, the main thing about um, kind of patient decision-making that, I, I, that has, has remained consistent is how uh, decision-making really is a way of breaking down complexity. And, and it's essential to try to find the ways that, um, to, try to, to try to use tools and technology and things like design to to break down a decision into not just a binary choice, but a, a, a kind of fabric or a, a, a landscape of choices, and help understand kind of how that plays out for people um, and what the trade-offs are. Um, and trade-offs, I think, especially in, in healthcare, it's always about trade-offs. There's always pros and cons to every decision. Um, and so I I you know I, I the, the book was, was very optimistic about this world of of patient centric um healthcare but i i tried to give good um and dig into the, the 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 real issue of how hard it is for people to grapple with these decisions and how hard it is for them to make sense of healthcare issues um in a time of you know high emotional stress of of great uncertainty um Oftentimes of 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 pain and and fear and f- and fatigue and all these issues that we're dealing with when we're dealing with our, our healthcare issues, so um, which which just makes making a a clear you know logical decision um, all of that much harder. So so I think that's that's something that um, remains consistent and I think paramount when we when we start to um, think about how consumers what consumers are are kind of not just capable of, but up to and want to want to do because they, they might be capable of making decisions, but, but sometimes they just rather not dig into it. Um, and so with, with iodine, what we did is we looked at this issue of medications um, and we chose medications not because I, I had a particular passion for, for pharmaceutical as, as, a, as a kind of treatment paradigm, but because it's an area where people actually are given fairly specific options, right? You can take drug A or drug B, um, you have lists of side effects. Um, you have uh, trade-offs uh, that, are, that are often, well, they should be clear. They're, they're often in the doctor's head. And so what we try to do with, uh, or the pharmacist's head, so what we try to do with iodine was really to create almost a virtual pharmacist and lay it all out on the page for what the different options were and what the trade-offs were and allowing people to make comparisons, getting a lot of first-person experience. Um, and, and so you could, um, you know, as our, as our friend Susanna Fox, uh, has, has said so articulately, a lot of what people are searching for online is not just information, but experience. So giving people a sense of other people's experience is, um, was essential. And m- much of that, much of that worked in the sense that, um, people found it a useful resource in it and it ranked well on Google. Um, but, uh, but certainly it's, it's. When you get into decision making in healthcare, it's there's an there's an it's like an endless endless well of complexity that you can dig into and unpack, and you're never done.
0: So let's turn then to GoodRx. So again, it was uh, just a couple of years ago that GoodRx decided there was a good match between what you were doing at Iodine and what they were doing. So I'd love to hear a little bit more about that journey, uh, specifically. Uh, and I know a bit about the company. As I said, I'm I'm one of your advisors, but uh, you're. You're helping people make good health decisions again by creating a better consumer experience around medicine and medication. Uh, it's about empowering consumers to understand their medications, uh, to get to find the best price. And healthcare is complicated. But um, why don't why don't you give us a, a little bit of a prase on how and explain how GoodRx has helped consumers save over nine billion dollars.
1: Yeah, yeah. Actually, it's, it, we just looked at the numbers recently, and, and it's actually over twenty billion dollars saved now. So. Um, and that's not that's not money into the company's pockets. That's companies, that's that's twenty billion dollars that stays in Americans' pockets. So money that they would have spent or might have spent on, on medications that were able to um you know save them. So so yes, GoRex is basically a marketplace of of prices. And um uh you know, I, I didn't I didn't start the company, I was I've been glad to be there on now almost four years. Um and I think one of the one of the things that is so useful about the company is it takes what is already kind of a consumer experience, um, around, you know, the retail, um, pharmacy experience, there's a cash register right there and, and you are paying right there. Um, and so, so, so people are already somewhat in a consumer mindset and what GoodRex was able to do was actually to, to find a way to, um, corral prices from all major pharmacies, um, on all, uh, medications all over the, or not over the counter, all, all, um, medications prescribed through retail pharmacies, community pharmacies and um, and allow people to choose uh, what price they want to pay at what pharmacy. Um, and so that kind of again, catalyzation of choice, uh, giving the patient agency was something that was incredibly um, powerful and and you know the the incentive of saving money is one that um, Americans are are well um, primed to favor in all sorts of other areas so, so here it came to pharmacy and it's, and it's worked, um, quite well. Um, I think the thing that we found, um, is that that idea of, of a marketplace and giving people choice and agency is something that, um, we're now looking at what, what other areas in healthcare are there that, that, that can be expanded to and, um, telehealth, telemedicine access to doctors virtually is, is a, is an area that we saw and, and actually just, um, Last month, uh, created a telemedicine or telehealth marketplace. So, so patients, if they, which kind of is a different way of thinking about um, how to access the service of telemedicine, it's um, you go in by condition and you can choose from um, various. uh, Most every telemedicine provider um, has a price and different, you know, all these providers have slightly different models asynchronous, synchronous, um, different pricing structures. And so we try to, we try to explain that all um, very clearly so that again, people can make decisions. So it's a, it's a, um, I think what's been fun about um, being part of GoTorex is, is just seeing how, when you do have um, millions of, of people who are highly incentivized to, to get access and to, to, you know, wrestle a little bit with, with the, the decision of, of matching a pharmacy, to a price or matching a um telemedicine provider to a price it's something that they're willing to do um, but a lot of it is i should i should mention it's all uh, kind of outside of insurance right so they they need to make this decision to not use their insurance as a um as the payer they pay cash with a discount and and so i think it's so what we're doing is actually teaching people that they have this option of going around insurance which is kind of contrary to to the you know Conventional wisdom, or the default mode, or just kind of how we, how, how the routine behavior. So I find a lot of what needs to be done in in healthcare to move people into a consumer mode is what I call just giving them permission to do so. Um, if people are given permission to take a different course, then they then they will. But oftentimes they don't even know they have the option. So so it's really that kind of. Not just showing them the prices, but saying it's okay. You can you can make choices here. There are choices for you to 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 um to to make to optimize your experience, which is not typical in healthcare. Yeah,
0: that's amazing. Well, and there are plenty of examples where the uh, the price on your website is lower than what they would pay if they use their insurance, which is another uh, topic perhaps for another day and another absurdity of the U.S. healthcare system. Yes, but always I'm, happy I've to dig in into that. Too. Many times, uh, as a doctor. Uh, before we had any relationship, uh, meaning as as good Rx, uh, I I was constantly printing out good for my for my patients. So and, and uh, I know lots and lots and lots of docs do it.
1: Yeah, and I think I think that's and and I think part of you know having you on the advisory board is is one of the things we're doing is really just listening to that experience because you know the founders came to the idea largely not through healthcare. Um, uh, there, they were, you know, had experience in consumer technology, Facebook, and most, mostly, um, Yahoo. And so understanding how it's helpful for doctors. I mean, you, you remember, I think this is another, uh, another thing maybe for another day, but just the, the shift over the last 10 years from doctors feeling like they have, they, they will write a prescription, but they have no obligation or no way to help people grapple with something like price to now very much seeing that as part of the the care that they uh provide so you know if they write a prescription is this a prescription people can afford that's that's now something more and more doctors are i think embracing as part of the um part of the care they provide
0: and trying to help people understand that well and it it it, one of the worst things when someone comes back for a follow-up and says i didn't start the medicine because i couldn't afford it so yeah so let me turn to um the uh, elephant in the room, which is the COVID-19 pandemic. I'm curious, and you can riff on this one, free associate, but just mm-hmm. any ideas you have on on how, as you see it from your perspective, how it's impacting healthcare, how it's impacting your business. And when, as we sort of start to see our way out uh, uh, or to to some hybrid of, of virtual and face-to-face healthcare delivery in the next few months. What's your view of the future? So that's a lot to ask, but go for it. <laughs> well, yeah, no, I mean, I think there were some, some immediate short-term impacts, which,
1: um, you know, we've all, we've all seen there was, there was just in, in prescriptions, there was a, a surge of um, people filling up. Um, this is some, this is some work that our, our research team did. There was a surge in 90 day prescriptions versus 30 day prescriptions. So people were kind of stockpiling in essence. Um, and then in the last um well, really in April, uh, then fills went down and were down by 15, 20%. Um, and that's not just in our business. That was across the entire pharmacy. And that lines up because people weren't going to the doctor. They wouldn't get any prescri- prescriptions. Um, uh, now you see that you start starting to recover as states open up and people need a refill. Um, so you, you see, we, we have seen um, people start to return. Um, but I do think there are some changes that, that have some shifts that have happened that probably will stick. And those are probably, again, as we've been talking about some of those areas where, where there's been probably um, higher friction in the, the status quo of, of access that all of a sudden they find that there's no reason to do, there's no reason for people to engage in that friction. So, I mean, you know, I, I remember when I was at um, the Robert Johnson foundation, we did some work on just looking at. Um, how people got to the to, to a doctor's office, talk to a visit. And sometimes it took, you know, walking half a mile, taking a bus, switching to another bus, walking another half a mile and, and waiting, just waiting, wait before the doctor, the, like, like the proverbial waiting in the doctor's office, just waiting for the bus, waiting for the transfer. It was a, an incredible amount of effort to for somebody to get to the doctor's visit. And I think for a lot, of, um, a lot of visits now, that kind of friction is, is potentially optional, right? There, there may be a, a significant percentage of visits where you know, routine follow-ups, um, uh, basic um, uh, check-ins that don't require a face-to-face interaction, um, uh, may not even require a, a synchronous reaction, right? Maybe just require a check-in on a few, um, a few follow-up questions those kind of um, encounters, I think are, are highly likely to be optimized now because we can see it. Um, and maybe there have even been some regulatory changes like shifts in payment um, that, that might might incentivize doctors to move those to a different model. So So I'm personally really excited about seeing how those kinds of, um, you know, again, what were high friction um, visits or encounters might now, just be be um, moved online, and therefore more people do them. Right? I think that's the that's the that's the real um, the flower and bloom here is that all that friction oftentimes had people not go to the doctor, and and if you're able to create an easier process that actually moves more people to the system and improves behavior and improves outcome, that's what we all want. And I think I think we'll find that um, a lot of physicians. And payers probably want that as well.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, our show rate now, uh, the virtual visits is virtually 100%. Uh, and that's because we, we set them up and then we get in touch with a person and they're waiting by the uh, proverbial phone for us. So it's uh, it's a little different. And then they're happy that they didn't, as you say, have to drive, have to park, have to wait. So there's something magical. I've, I've been talking about this triad of uh, access quality and uh, – and, um, and convenience. And when you get those three, everyone, everyone's happy.
1: I knew you'd have a, you'd have a fancy diagram up your sleeve. I should have had that.
0: (laughs) Listen, uh, I can't tell you how much fun it's been having you today, Thomas. It's always a pleasure to chat with you. And I look forward to the next time we can bump elbows or maybe even shake. Absolutely, Joe. I look forward to it too. Thomas will be a keynote speaker at the ATA Annual Conference, this year taking place virtually June 22 through 26. I encourage each of you to block that time on your calendar. We have a jam packed agenda with over 200 speakers, 75 plus sessions, an interactive exhibit experience, networking opportunities, and a research track including poster sessions offering CME. For more information or to register, go to the website, gotelehealth.org.
1: Thanks for listening to The Source from the ATA. We want to hear from you. What topics should we cover? Who would you like to hear from? To share your comments and suggestions, and for more information about the ATA, telehealth, and virtual
0: care, please visit our website, americantelemed.org, and our American Telemed accounts on LinkedIn and Twitter. Finally, please be sure to
1: subscribe, rate, and share this podcast on your favorite platforms. It really makes a difference. Copyright 2020 ATA. All rights reserved.